Welcome to IDSI Podcast. I'm Gaia Lamperti, and today I'm joined by Brandon Spear from Trevi Pay. Hi, Gaia. Very nice to meet you, and uh, thanks for uh, having me on your podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Trevi Pay is a B2B trade credit solution. Recently, we've been seeing a lot of transformation in the B2C landscape when it comes to payments. How is the B2B sector keeping up with that? Yeah, great question. So I, I think fundamentally, B2B has always been a little bit behind B2C just because of the different complexity level that usually exists in, in B2B transactions. But I think companies like uh, Starstock that are very innovative and, and really trying to transform an industry, trying to change the way purchasing and, and transactions occur in an industry are really very focused on how to simplify that entire interaction and how to really try to modernize it. So I think what we're seeing and a, and a trend that definitely exists in the market right now is that the B2B space is really trying to emulate a lot of what's going on in B2C. And a big part of that is just around simplifying how the interactions occur. And, you know, the pandemic has huge effects that we are still experiencing today. When it comes to B2B payments, what are some of the behavioral shifts we are witnessing in the post-pandemic? Yeah, you know, I think we've, you know, we've all seen personal lives where there's just been a massive move towards e-commerce and to online transactions. And I think the same is true in the B2B space. There's been a tremendous digital transformation of the whole end-to-end purchasing process. And I think that's going to continue. And, and I think probably in, in during the course of the pandemic, what would normally have taken five years was probably compressed into the 18 months of the pandemic. I think the other key thing that's happening is, you know, in the past, a lot of customer acquisition would happen through a variety of, ch- of channels. These days, a lot of customer acquisitions actually happening online, where both the buyer and seller meet each other for the first time online. And that's creating some additional challenges and additional complexities in how you onboard new customers. Everything from how you actually confirm that they are a valid customer, how you give them credit lines, how you how you might onboard them physically onto the, the tools and platforms that you're going to use. So massive changes, lots of transformation, and, and I think lots of a lot of change in the way customers and, and buyers and sellers meet each other. And since you mentioned some of those challenges and new issues that innovative technologies carry with them, what could be some of the solutions, even mentioning the new credit solution that TreviPay is powering for Starstock? Yeah, good question too. So I think there's, you know, there's kind of two broad buckets of challenges that I would see. On the one hand, during the pandemic, a lot of sources of, of traditional sources rather of working capital basically dried up. And so businesses that were offering trade credit that might have a bank loan that underpinned the way they offered that working capital, those sorts of sources got really scarce. It got really difficult to actually use those types of sources of working capital. So businesses like ourselves that are non-traditional lenders, so to speak, are, are playing a, a role in helping uh, companies be able to fill that working capital gap that might have been created during the pandemic. I think the second challenge that we see is this one of, of how, when you acquire a customer online, how much do you know about that customer and do you have certainty that they're a real customer? So one of the things that we've seen is a massive rise in business identity theft and, and as a consequence, potential fraud that comes from it. 
And so, you know, one of the challenges you have to deal with if you're moving online or more and more of your business is happening through e-commerce, how do you make certain that the end customer you're dealing with is in fact a valid business, particularly if you're offering them trade credit? Companies like ourselves have built a lot of capabilities around that validation, around removing that risk from those sellers, from those merchants, so that they really don't have to worry about all of those, uh, you know, those that business identity theft challenge. Great. And how so? Do you rely on a, an identification software, on specific technology, third-party technologies? Yeah, good question. So, you know, a lot of the uh, the data that you use, you know, around the company name, where it's registered, who the directors are, who the officers of the company are, a lot of that information, unfortunately, is public these days. So you can't necessarily rely on these traditional data sources only. Yes, they're a good source of information, but they're not necessarily, you can't just rely on them because a potential fraudster can find that information out about, about the companies. So what we typically rely on is where is the application coming from? Everything we do is a digital first process. So the actual onboarding and the way we gather the data from the client when we're doing the credit and underwriting, we're actually assessing where their IP address is from. We're assessing whether that makes sense in terms of the type, you know, where the company is based. So, for example, if it's a UK-based business and they're applying from some other part of the world, you know, that's probably not going to make sense and we should probably be suspicious about it. We check things like how recent the email address was, if there's a new email address was created recently. We look at things like the actual uh, domain names and are the domain names exactly the same as, as what they are with the with the DNS registrations. So there's a variety of other, I would say, non-traditional data sources that we use to validate that the application is a real application. And we do all of this in in near real time. So we do it in around 30 to 40 seconds uh, to basically try to confirm that the person is who they say they are and they are really a representative of the company. Interesting. I would like to ask you, what are your views on collaborative commerce? So this idea of bringing suppliers and buyers closer together, are we there yet? Yeah, I think that we are definitely uh, en route towards collaborative commerce. And I think what we've seen is that if there's a closed community of buyers and sellers, so in other words, a group that interacts with one another all the time because they're either in the same vertical supply chain or they're in an, an adjacent industry or an adjacent supply chain. I think the collaborative commerce in those sorts of use cases is much further along because there's an ongoing repeat relationship that exists between buyers and sellers. And usually the community is a is a finite community. People know one another within the community. And so it's much, much easier to establish that collaborative commerce mindset. I think it's more difficult in a horizontal world where you know you might have an infrequent customer, somebody who doesn't buy from you all the time. Uh, they might buy once a year, they might buy every second year. I think that's more challenging to think about how collaborative commerce occurs there. But we're definitely seeing, um, you know, in some ways, uh, an explosion of vertical marketplaces where these niche marketplaces are bringing these communities together. Starstock is a great example of that. And, uh, and trying, to, trying to fundamentally change and improve the interaction model so that it's easier for buyers and sellers to work with each other. 
Absolutely. We already mentioned a few of them, but what are some other trends we can expect in the payment sector, but I would say even more specifically in the B2B payment sector? Yeah, I think that, you know, the the big trend that we're watching really closely is the demographic of the business buyer is really changing. For the first time, Generation Z and later generations are going to be the predominant business buyer. And this is a generation that's grown up only knowing the internet. They never knew life before the internet. And as a consequence of that, we think that there's going to be much more pressure on the business-to-business transactions and the way buyers and sellers interact to feel more like the consumer transactions that they've all experienced, that we've all experienced. And so we are we are watching all of that very, very closely and, and really trying to make sure that our platform, the services we provide to our customers are going to meet the needs of this new generation of buyer, this new generation of business buyer. I think that's one of the the big trends. I think the other other trend that never going to probably go back to is, is everyone working in an office all the time. And if you think about the implications that that has for the the tools, the software, the capabilities you provide your staff if they're remote. Everything from as simple as, you know, when you're in the office, you have a centralized printer and you can print things out. Well, how are you going to do that if a good chunk of your workforce is remote? And how are you going to be able to provide those sorts of capabilities to your teams? We think that's going to drive a lot more decentralized buying and a lot more decentralized purchasing. And again, if if you're well-equipped, if you're a merchant or or a seller that's well-equipped to address that and provide those capabilities to a remote workforce, we think that those are going to be the sorts of businesses that ultimately went out and get the get a larger market share in the future. One trend we didn't mention yet is digital currencies adoption. How important do you think is for payment services to at least consider to incorporate cryptocurrencies in their offering right now? Yeah, I think there's a you know there's there's very large companies that have moved in this direction already that have have started to accept um, cryptocurrencies as a as a form of payment. I think it's going to be an, an ongoing trend. There's going to be a, a continued adoption of it. I think what's harder to predict is what role legislation and central banks and and governments ultimately will will play in trying to regulate this. You know, while, while it's still a small portion of the overall um, you know, economic trade that exists, those central bodies have not really changed their approach and their views. I think there's, there's going to be legislation that comes. There's going to, you know, we've even obviously seeing things like state-backed cryptocurrencies uh, from China. And so there's going to be changes in this market. Um, I think like, like any business, you have to be very aware of what the disruptive technologies are and be in a position to deal with them. You know, for, for ourselves, we view cryptocurrencies much like we would view any other currency that's out there today. We work in 18 currencies today. And so we view it in a very similar fashion. If there's a trend and a demand for our customers to use it, then we will support it. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out and, and over what time frame there's widespread adoption. Great. Thank you. To conclude, what's in store for TreviPay? Yeah, I think for us, you know, we've focused really on, on everything that a merchant needs to be successful to interact with their customers. Obviously, a trade credit solution is a big piece of that. But for us, we're going to really continue down that pathway 
of, of really deeply understanding what merchants are dealing with today and the challenges that they have as everything moves online, as this, these higher service level expectations from their customers, as their customers expect more flexibility from them. And so we're going to be continually launching uh, products and we also have some acquisitions lined up that we think would be you know, interesting to add to our portfolio of solutions and offerings so that we can, like I said, continue to help the merchant do what they need to do to remain competitive, to enhance their share of wallet with their customers and really meet these changing needs that these customers have on how they want to interact with them and how they want to buy from them. Great. And thank you so much, Brendan, for joining us today. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.